0: Welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of Family and Children's Discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland.
1: All right, Tony. Well, how are you doing, my friend?
2: I'm doing pretty well. Uh, enjoying the snow on the ground, but uh, it's actually, like I was telling you before we record, uh, it's, you know, the perfect snowfall where we got a decent bit on the ground, but it was too warm for it to really stick on the road. So, how are you doing out there?
1: Uh, doing pretty well. I am uh, not enjoying snow. I actually have on short sleeves today for the first time in quite a while, uh, at least while at work, but it's it's pretty mild here. Um, but my in-laws, uh, they have gotten a lot of snow up in Pennsylvania and uh, my sister-in-law. So yeah, we're different, different parts of the country, uh, but we do have a special guest actually from Pennsylvania today, a little bit different part of the state, uh, but we are happy to Welcome. Peter Kroll with us. Uh, and he's a pastor and an author and a uh, ministry leader. And so, uh, Peter, thank you for joining us today.
3: You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, We're looking forward to talking about the content of your book as well as your website. Um, before we get into that, you know, to sort of set the table for this conversation, you know, it's been said that if you give a man a fish, then you can feed him for a day. Uh, If you teach a man uh, to actually catch fish, then you can feed him for a lifetime. And I think the same could be said in some ways about learning to read and study the Bible and some things I've been thinking about in my own family life and uh, within our church context. But, Tony, I know you – when did you first start reading the Bible for yourself?
2: Yeah, so I actually, I went to a Christian high school before I became a Christian, and uh, we were required to read the Bible, so I probably had read most of the Bible before I became a Christian, and uh, I didn't do a lot of schoolwork before then, but I, I was honestly mostly curious <laughs> about it. So, I mean, it's, okay. as, a not, as somebody that's not saved, it's still a fascinating book, you know?
1: It is. I mean, it, it's no question it has shaped Western society just in uh,
2: enormous ways,
1: uh, and mm-hmm. Americans still own a lot of Bibles. Uh, Some research out there has shown that uh, 87% of American households own at least one Bible. Uh, They just don't read them that much or study them. Um, And so only about 30% have read several passages or some stories. 15% have read at least half the Bible. 13% have read only a few sentences from the Bible. And this was in 2014, 45% Read the Bible. The Bible, seldom or never, 35 uh, percent at least once a week. Uh, now, when it, you look at that's just Americans in general. I think there was about 35,000 people in that survey. Evangelicals read the Bible at, at about 63 percent said they read it at least once a week. I found this interesting though. Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons read the the Bible uh, noticeably more uh than evangelicals um like in the 70s and the 80 uh, percent Hmm. but uh those are some fascinating it's fascinating look at our culture's familiarity with the bible we we A lot of people have respect for the Bible, at least to some extent, but they're not engaging with it. Uh, And so that's what, Peter, we want to talk to you about today. But before we get into that, just tell us a little bit briefly about your ministries uh, and how knowing God's Word and studying God's Word is central to what you do.
3: Well, I serve as president of Disciple Makers Campus Ministry. So we're ministering to students on, on secular campuses across Pennsylvania, and uh, our our vision is to raise up effective disciple making disciples of Jesus Christ from among these students and i also serve as the preaching pastor at my church grace fellowship church of state college and in both of our ministries both in the campus ministry i work for and the church uh, where i serve uh, the, the the scriptures are uh, incredibly central to to what we we try to do in Disciple Makers, uh, our very first core value on our list of values is the value of the Scriptures, uh, where we believe that the Scriptures direct our lives, and that they should direct everything we think, say, and do. Uh, they, they don't just direct what's religious or spiritual in our lives, but but everything. And so we seek to apply them across the board. And we also have it written right into our founding documents that... Uh, We are particularly concerned that our ministry conforms to the scriptures. We don't quote verses mindlessly. Rather, using the common standards of human language, we determine what the original author said, what that meant to the original audience in their context, and how it applies in our context. So, this is really encoded into what we're trying to do and what we're seeking to instill in in college students uh, as we reach out to them and... Uh, help them to follow jesus
2: that's, awesome.
1: that's yeah that's excellent
2: yeah i i imagine that is such a crucial role especially with i know among a lot of young people there's been the rise of what's now called progressive christianity which is just theological mm. liberalism repackaged uh, right why is studying and knowing the bible such a big emphasis for you and why is it important for young people
3: it's such a an emphasis because the you know even with these new repackagings of old ideas, uh, we we actually need to go back to the even older ideas, that as we go back to the basics, and we we find in the scripture, God Himself revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, uh, that is just critical to help everybody makes sense of what's going on uh, all around us. So I think of Second of Peter chapter 1, especially where, where Peter is, is telling the story about when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he was an eyewitness of the glory of the Lord Jesus when he got a glimpse of it for those moments. And uh, what, what he, he says to his, his readers is really striking. After describing that glory, he says, we ourselves heard this voice born from the heaven, we were with him on the holy mountain and in in second Peter one nineteen. he says, "Here's his conclusion, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And so it's really striking that here's Peter, and he says, we saw Jesus, we, we handled him, we, we heard the voice from heaven, we saw the glory, but you know what? You have something that you do well to, to pay attention to. You have something that's even more fully confirmed than what we saw on the mountain. And the written scriptures, the prophetic word, is your anchor, it is your lamp shining in a dark place and that is what leads us to god and helps us to know him and so that just makes it really critical for us to constantly go back to the scriptures young people need an anchor of truth by which to understand their world and that anchor of truth is found in the bible because in the bible we see the face of jesus christ and in jesus christ we see the face of god Amen.
1: Yeah, that's it's very well said, very clear. I and mean, I think of passages of Scripture that you're drawing off of as well. And yes, I mean, how how appropriate for our day when, when truth for a long time has been under assault and there's so many questions just basic about who am I, where am I going, mm-hmm. and uh, that, that anchor that you're describing.
3: Yeah, probably the most important question someone can ask in our day is, by what standard do you decide to do X, Y, or Z? By what standard do you judge something right or wrong? By what standard do you determine something to be true or false, to be information or misinformation? By what standard do you consider one person honorable and another person dishonorable? And mm-hmm. yeah, apart from the scripture, we really don't have a clear standard. All we're left with is just arbitrary opinions.
2: Yeah.
1: Yes, and they they shift, like, sand underneath our feet with time.
2: Yep. Yeah, that's... I think that's interesting, by the way, you bringing that up, because uh, actually with uh, I work with a lot of teens in our, our church, and we've talked some of the ethics, and I actually explained some of Kantian categorical imperatives and how that's influenced a lot of ethics in our world today. And I agree. I mean, with that, you know, you uh, so many young people ask, you know, what's the basis? And I think with the world's philosophy of, you know, what is right and wrong, uh, there is nothing concrete, and when there's nothing concrete, there has to be a, a constant shifting in a way mm-hmm. that that's not sustainable.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure. I mean, with college students right. in particular, and in a university town, I mean that's a big, uh, big obstacle that you all face. Well, Peter, what would you tell a parent or a teacher um, to do who they they see? Okay, I, I need to give the word help kids to learn the Word, young people to learn to study it, um, but I'm just not real confident in my own ability to study the Bible, but I do want to grow in that. What, what advice would you give them?
3: That's a great question. If someone's not confident in their own ability, the first thing I would want to do is commend them for not propping themselves up with a false confidence in their own abilities. <laughs> because we we should never be confident in our own abilities, uh, we ought to be confident in the spirit of the Lord Jesus who's been given to us and who inspired the scripture. And so I would, I would want to remind parents and teachers that what they can have full confidence in is in God's word to be at work. And so sometimes we need to perhaps not worry so much about our own abilities or our, our lack of confidence, though it's to be celebrated if, if we will look elsewhere for our confidence such as in in Joshua 1, where the Lord tells Joshua, be strong and very courageous. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. And don't be frightened, don't be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So one of the things I find when parents or teachers tend to be thinking about themselves and their own abilities, and then they lose confidence, that they, they tend to go looking for who is the expert or what's the perfect curriculum or resource I can use with my students or my children? And that will make sure that everything goes right. Mm. And and instead, where I want to help people redirect their confidence is you don't need an expert and you don't need the perfect resource. You actually have words spoken directly by God for your student's benefit, for your children's benefit. And so take them there and feed them with the the bread of life from the scripture. And you can have confidence that the scripture will be at work. God's work will not, or his word will not return to him void. It will accomplish what he sets out for it to do.
2: Very
1: good word. I thought you were going to go with that, but yeah,
2: I want to say oh, okay. I appreciate how pastoral that is, you know. And these kind of things I think is really easy to bowl over people, you know what I mean? And uh, I just really appreciate your kind pastoral heart in response to that.
3: Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Where would you expect me to go with that? <laughs> I,
1: I, uh, not that I disagree with you. Uh, I just thought, you were, you know, oh, here you could learn to study this or that. But, uh, yes, I mean, I very much appreciate what you were saying about relying on the Spirit. And And there are, I mean— you have a, a website full of resources uh, to help people to learn to do this. But, I mean, even in in the reading I've done on your site, it, it's mm. not dependent on our own ability, our own intellect. Um, it's ultimately the spirit that, that's got to work to give life and um, to give us, you know, like Philippians 2, it's God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's um, right. So, yeah,
3: uh, we can always strengthen our muscles and, hone our skills and our abilities at, at Bible study, but we have to do it out of, a, out of a just a deeply rooted belief that the scriptures are sufficient and God is at work in them
2: through his spirit. So, now, can we expect children to read and understand the Bible for themselves legitimately? Uh, how might we help them do that if we think they can?
3: Well, I would say yes and no to that. Uh, can we expect them to, to read and understand for themselves? Well, yes, we can expect them to do that because we can, we can trust that, that children are able to know Jesus and they're able to draw near to him through his word. He commanded that the little children be brought to him. He, he was not very pleased with the disciples who tried to rebuke the parents who wanted to bring their children. Um, but at the same time, I think it also can be helpful to recognize that, that no, maybe we shouldn't always expect them to read and understand for themselves. As the Ethiopian eunuch sa- says to Philip in Acts 8.31, he asks, how can I understand what I am reading unless someone guides me? And so our children will need help, just as they need help in all other areas of life. We, we never entrust them to themselves and to their own hearts, but we must instill in them a confidence that, God's word is just as much for them as it is for adults. So how would we do that? How would I do that? Um, my, My basic piece of advice to parents and teachers with respect to children, even the youngest of children is to give them a Bible and then teach them how to use it. So you don't necessarily need a fancy curriculum. You can entrust them with the real Bible and children's Bibles can be helpful. I, I really enjoy reading children's Bibles out loud to my, my children uh, when they're young. Um, but especially we want to entrust them with a, a real translation of the Bible. We should read it out loud together as families. We can help to instill in our children a habit of reading it personally. And with my kids, uh, even when they were young, before they could read, we started doing that just with audio Bibles. Where they would listen to it and draw pictures and as we give them a bible and we teach them to use it we're teaching them basic skills in how to read how to understand literature and how to think critically uh, about an argument about a, a narrative about poetry about those kinds of things and so as we do that we can even talk them through the uncomfortable parts i think it's important for children to to know that we're not embarrassed by the parts of the bible that are about Uh, marital sexuality, or about righteous violence, or about countercultural values, things that our our culture deems unacceptable. And we're not embarrassed by that, but that these things are are from God for our edification.
1: Yeah, those are some very good, and just simple practices, uh, but yet could yield a lot of fruit in time. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Peter, is there a a straightforward, memorable method or a a set of questions or or something that parents and teachers uh, who are trying to help young people learn to study the Bible for themselves, uh, is there something they can use to help them as they look at a passage of Scripture and and the the various genres that are there?
3: Absolutely. What I prefer to, to teach folks is called the OIA method. Uh, And the OIA stands for observe, interpret, and apply. It's easy to remember, the three letters, the three words. Um, It simply refers to when we observe, we're trying to figure out what does it say. When we interpret, we try to figure out what does it mean. And when we apply, we try to figure out how should I change. And so it's pretty straightforward, it's memorable. And I find that that children pick up on this pretty quickly and and they can remember it. And part of the straightforwardness of it is because this OIA method, observe, interpret, apply, is simply a means to try to capture how all human communication works. So I, I often will illustrate it with a handshake. If you observe that I stick out my right hand toward your body with uh, the thumb up and the hand is upright, you're observing that I've done that. You, You interpret what I mean by it and you understand that that's an attempt at a greeting, some kind of personal connection. And then now that you've interpreted that meaning, you will apply it, hopefully, by reaching out your hand and taking hold of mine. Although, of course, you could apply it a number of other ways. You could turn your back and walk away. You could roll your eyes or you could throw your arms wide and give me a big, hair, uh, a big bear hug instead. There are a number of different things you can, you can do there, but, but OIA is simply an effort to, to capture how communication works. If we take any of those pieces out, then communication cannot happen between two people. And so this is how God has chosen to communicate with us through this written medium of the scripture. And so that there's a lot more I could say about it. There's a lot more details we can go into, but that's the essence of it is simply observe what it says, interpret what it means, and then apply how I should change. And then we're constantly refining that. And that's simple enough to work with preschoolers. And it's complex enough to, to interest postdocs and for all of us for the rest of our lives, we can <laughs> delve the depths of the method.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, that is that's very helpful. And it, even the the illustration, uh, I think, is good. Now, in in these days and times, you may have to adjust that to a fist bump or something yeah, like that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but
1: uh, Or, or
3: I, a hand wave icon on the screen. <laughs> yeah. Yes, even better. Um,
1: but... Just having that simple set, and I think it, it is simple enough, even before someone's uh, able to read, being able to to coach them to to do those kinds of things with a text, even as you read it to them.
3: yeah, absolutely.
2: Now, what other consideration might be helpful to mention uh, when thinking about cultivating Bible reading and understanding with our children? And how might that kind of change as they age? I assume that uh, we're not going to be providing the same things for, you know, a 17-year-old as a 2-year-old, right?
3: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Certainly, reading level is a factor. You know, some of our children are simply being read, too, and that's all that they can handle. And so we read to them, or at some of those youngest ages, we can give them audio Bibles. Perhaps on a, on a mobile device, um, those are readily accessible. And then there are our early readers, and with with my children when they were first learning to read, typically the first Bible we would give them would be an NIRV, the New International Reader's Version, uh, which was a translation made primarily for people for whom English is a second language, but it has very short sentences and, and a, a very low reading level to, to, to help people along. And so as my children were learning to read, we gave them that Bible. And so it helped them to, to to take heart, to have courage that they were reading God's word and they could read it for themselves. But then after that point, once they're comfortable with reading, we, my wife and I would, would relatively quickly graduate our children uh, to the ESV translation because that's what our church uses. And so I typically recommend to folks to, 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 to give your, your children whatever translation your church uses. What does your pastor use when he preaches? You know, what's in, what's in the, the pews, if you have pews, or, or under the chairs at, at your church? And so that reading level is a factor, and, and using the translation that our church uses enables us to show our children that, that even our Bible reading, it isn't just about me and Jesus privately, but, but we're part of a community of faith. And then in addition to that, I, I recommend pursuing as much interaction as possible. So with with grade school children or, or with teenagers, um, it can simply involve asking them what they're reading and what they're learning. If we're gonna study it together with them, a few simple questions can help, to help them to learn the method, to help them learn the OIA steps. Um, so what do you see there? Do you see anything repeated? What are the characters named in the passage? Uh, things like that. And questions like, why do you think he says that? Why do these characters in here interact in this way and not in the way that maybe you and I would have done it? And so we can ask some what questions and some why questions and help them process that. And then think through, you know, how does this connect? If that's true, how, how ought we to live in light of that? I find with teenagers, often the interaction in cultivating, helping them to continue cultivating their Bible reading and, and understanding. Um, simply with teenagers, it can involve asking them just what they're reading and what they're learning. Hey, so what are you reading these days in in the Bible? And what are you learning from it? What's, what's God showing you? As our children, starting younger and as they get older, at times we've also given them worksheets, uh, just some homemade worksheets that we printed out just with three or four Basic questions and categories to help them work through observation, interpretation, and application. So, those are some of the, the the things that I found helpful in in cultivating these habits and and ways that that has has evolved as they've changed.
1: Yeah, those are very good. I threw in a question there that you know we were going to get to later. Uh, you kind of addressed that already about choosing a Bible translation. This is just something I'm uh, an interest of mine, and and uh, hearing yeah. your thinking through. Uh, that and and I like what you said, especially about the remembering that we're it's it is about us in the Lord, but it is we're also part of a, a larger family or community of faith uh, mm-hmm. in which we're we're submitting ourselves in our God's Word,
3: yeah, that's right. and you know perhaps I should say that the the best translation that you could use is the one that you are you are going to read mhm. And so, even with your kids, what are they most likely to read? Where are they? And each of your kids might be in a different place. Um And so, a different kind of Bible, you know, a picture Bible or one with more call outs on the side or who knows, could be helpful for for different children.
1: Yes, yeah, that's a good point
3: but as as far as the specific translation we've we've really tried to shepherd our family along the using the same translation our church uses so that they can more easily connect with with their friends and others at church as well and they can follow yeah. along with the sermon on Sundays mm-hmm. and we just buy I guess we haven't had to do this recently but when they were younger we would buy pew bibles by the case nice <laughs> so that we could just keep giving them to them because you know they just get beat up by these kids uh-huh. they get dropped they get <laughs> rained on they get left behind in the snow you know and so the bible runs out and then we've got a box filled and we give them a new one and then it always feels fresh and exciting.
1: <laughs> it's like the uh, the wholesale club version of a Bible <laughs> Yeah,
3: Bible. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it, it just thrills me to see Bibles being used up and being wiped out. And so I'm more than happy to 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 feed that kind of addiction.
2: Amen. There
1: you go. Well, so uh, can we, you, you mentioned this earlier, um, but I mean, is it, something to expect that we can read the actual Bible, not just a story Bible, to, to small children and expect them to benefit from that? And, and if so, I mean, you, you've mentioned a couple of things like uh, audio Bibles, but I mean, what, what, what else could that look like for even
3: young children? Yeah, I, th- I think we can do that and, and expect them to benefit. If nothing else, you know, e- even though it, it might not be visible, the benefit to them, if nothing else, what we're doing is we're creating a culture. We, we are bringing them up in an environment where listening to God's word being read is just normal. That's just, that's what we do. And we get used to it and we train our listening skills and our ability to, to maybe to sit still so that we can listen to a sermon or, or that kind of thing. And so, I think that has great benefit even even for really small children. As far as what that could look like, at least for, for our family, what it looks like is we do a fair amount of, of my wife especially, does a fair amount of one-on-one reading with the youngest children, and, and she'll use children's Bibles most of the time for that. Uh, but we also have a weekly family time with the whole family together where I will read the Bible, and I'm just, I'm reading an adult translation. <laughs> And for my own interest, I, I use a variety of translations, and I'm often switching from one to the next. It just helps keep it fresh for me as I'm reading it. Yeah. But we'll get together on Sunday nights for 30 to 60 minutes, and I just read the Bible. We're just extended reading. Um, I don't use a prepackaged set of devotions. We we just read it together, and all of the children are allowed to play quietly while well, they do it. They can get whatever they want to have. The only rules are that we all have to be in the living room together and they're not allowed to use any electronic devices. Uh, it has to be quiet. You know, no no noise making toys or anything. <laughs> and so some of them will will bring their bin of Legos and they'll build build Legos. Others will do blocks or Matchbox cars or they'll just sit and draw pictures, you know, whatever they want to do. So that that way they don't just have to sit still and do nothing but listen to the Bible because that gets really hard and, and old very quickly for them. Mm-hmm. But so they can play and be about the room and I just will read for maybe 45 minutes. And we read the entire Bible that way over the, you know, once a week over the course of five years. It only took us about five years to read the whole thing. And so even the youngest, even the preschoolers, the, the two and three-year-old was there for that. I Just a few weeks ago, I, I started doing that for the second time because we completed that about a year ago and then I, I took a break. Uh, to do some more specific instruction with the children in that time, but now we're back to Bible reading. So we just started Genesis. We're about to finish Genesis, Lord willing, this this coming week. And so as we go, the children are allowed to interrupt me at any time to ask a question. So what does that mean? What's that word? Why did they do that? And you know, I got some. My children are getting older. My my oldest, I have twins who are 14 years old, and my youngest right now is four, and so I get a wide range of questions, and I got some pretty uncomfortable questions this last time. We were reading through Genesis and, and they're, they're asking me, why did that guy lay with his brother's wife? What does it mean to spill his seed on the ground? And so we had to talk talk that through because we're just reading the Bible uh, an unfiltered reading. And so I have to do it in a child appropriate way but i find it important to let them know that we're not embarrassed by this and god created sexuality to be good even though we twist and abuse it in so many terrible ways and the bible gives us examples of that
2: i'm i'm sure dinah will be an interesting time when you get to that point
3: yes uh, well we're we're into joseph so we, okay. we already covered covered dinah and and that came up yep
2: all right. Are there any practices that you found helpful in encouraging Bible reading habits uh, for for kids, uh, whether in readers or even really with pre-readers?
3: Yeah, The most helpful practice has been, uh, we found, to make it a part of the daily routine. So uh, it, it helps that we homeschool our children, and so each of our children have daily checklists for all the work that they need to do, and their Bible reading goes right on the checklist so it's right there next to their math homework and their reading assignment and you know all the schoolwork they're doing there's there's bible time and so they they do that and they consider it as as a part of school and so they're just getting used to doing that in on a, a daily routine and as i mentioned earlier with our preschoolers and and pre-readers we set them up with audio bibles and they're usually delighted to be able to have a have a, a mobile device and be able to use it and find the right track and and play it, uh, which which makes it very interesting to them and something that they desire to do, and we'll we'll give them just paper and and coloring utensils, color colored pencils or, or crayons or something, and they can draw a picture while they're listening to it. And we just ask them to to draw a picture about what they're hearing so that they're not zoning out, but they're actually processing and comprehending what they listen to and, and drawing something connected to it. In addition to that, with um, groups that we participate in at our church and even classes that I teach, I, I teach a middle school Sunday school class, and I, I give the kids homework for Sunday school. They have mm. about 30 minutes of homework where they have to do some Bible study, and they have to they have to do it and prepare it and come because I start the next class by going around the room and asking them what they came up with. And they don't like the peer pressure of having to admit in front of their friends they didn't do the homework. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> um, so our, our kids are participating in that. And so they have. will put that on their, their school list to do Sunday school homework or youth group Bible study homework. Uh, so my teenagers have about 60 minutes of homework they have to do per week on average, to prepare for their youth group Bible study. So we do as much as we can to encourage that and uh, to to see that in our in our church setting so that we're actually expecting uh, more of the children. we're making the most of these teaching opportunities in groups where we're giving children and parents even something to practice during the week. and then it's not exclusively up to the teacher or the time in class to propel to propel the momentum
2: by the way uh, one follow-up on the um, uh, on that question you do mention like you know the devices uh, for audio Bible for younger kids and, and this is actually even just and uh, and my family interest you know do you do that with uh, I mean do you get like a kid's tablet I know that there, there are those available or how have you done that I mean I, I don't think um, I imagine you're not talking about giving somebody an iPhone uh, at four to figure out what they're gonna do you know well
3: it it is iPhone an iPhone, but it's an old one. Okay. And it's not connected to the internet. Uh, you know, we've locked down parental controls okay. on it, and we've disabled the Wi-Fi. And we don't give them password to the the password to the Wi-Fi network. And so we have on it just a few things, and we're also not handing it to them and having them walk away. That's good. But they're sitting at the kitchen table, while we're all about there, and th- so they're they're being observed. So so. If they're screwing around on the phone, we can quickly correct them and say, okay. no, we're here for, for Bible time.
2: No, that's good to know. And, yeah, and we can I even mean,
3: play it and put the screen lock on, and then they can just sort of play and pause if they want.
2: Yeah. No, I, I think that's a great idea. I just am uh, legitimately curious on the dynamics of that because, you know, I, I do know young people and smart devices sometimes doesn't yep. go well.
3: Yep. Oh, absolutely. We We take great care to – to do as much as we can to protect them, while which buys us the time to try to shepherd their hearts further so that, Lord willing, one day they don't need all the physical yeah. protection because we want them to have hearts that are repulsed by immorality. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Peter, I mean, this has been uh, excellent so far. With all this, I mean, someone listening, I could see them saying, you know, you guys, it sounds like you just read the Bible all the time. You read the whole Bible as a family. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, is that just... Is that the case? Or if not, I mean, do you, are there other things that you do? And, and how do you, you you have other things going on in life? How do you carve out a time to make this a priority and a reality in your home, both the, the individual study of the Bible, but also the, that time together uh, in the midst of – you? Know, I mean, I, I've seen on your website, I think you have six kids. Is that correct?
3: Yes, we have six with uh, Seventh on the Way, Lord willing.
1: Okay. So, I mean, that that's a busy home.
3: Um, mm-hmm. So how, how does that work out in practice? Well, I'm curious, Ben, as to what you would say if I were to tell you that, yes, that's all we do is read the Bible.
1: <laughs> I would say that you are, uh, you know, God's word gives us hope and encouragement. I would say also, you know, that God gives us other responsibilities. And <laughs> I would just I would want to know how, how that was uh, you were able to keep your, your children's attention for, for that long, but because uh, I mean, we try to make Bible reading a priority in our home as well, um, but I know taking into consideration development level and where they're at spiritually and the, all those kinds of things, and I've, I've seen your website, you talked about coaching baseball, some of those kinds of things, and so uh, just h- how, how do you carve out that time in the midst of, of a busy family life?
3: Yes. I was just curious how you would respond to that. But, but yes, we, we do all kinds of worldly things like play baseball and go sledding and watch movies and uh, play board games. And do we do science and math and history and all those other things? But to to prioritize Bible reading, I guess we've thought of it in, in two ways. We've thought of what kind of daily routine do we want to instill in our kids. And then what sort of weekly routine do we want to instill? And that's been helped me to, to think of those things, which has freed me from feeling too guilty if I'm not doing certain things every day. So for example, with the daily routine, as I mentioned earlier, uh, they all have Bible reading on their list of chores and responsibilities for every day. And uh, for some that might only be 10 minutes and for the older children, it's more like thirty minutes each day. And they can draw pictures, they can take some notes, they can fill out their worksheets for their for their Sunday school homework or, or whatever it is. But we're we're just building that habit for them. And so that's it for just that portion of the day. And then as a family, we don't actually read the Bible together every day. And and that was very freeing for me to uh, when I made that decision a number of years back. When our kids were young, we tried to do daily family devotions and um, our kids just didn't enjoy it very much. And we could have done more things to help them enjoy it, of course. And, and their enjoyment is not the highest value either. I'm not trying to say that, mm-hmm. but it was just very hard pushing uphill. And for me personally to lead it was very hard. And it was like, like pushing a rock uphill. And so that was when I decided, instead of doing this every day, we're just going to carve out one hour each week, and we're going to do this for a more extended time. And that was when we, in thinking creatively, we came up with that idea of we'll have our family Bible reading time and everybody's in the living room together and doing whatever you want to do as long as it's quiet and it's not electronic and that sort of thing. And that actually has been something that, that we've really looked forward to. I look forward to it very much. It just suits my personality. I would much rather sit there and read and just field what questions they have, rather than working through a, a set of, of pre-scripted devotions or or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it also gives us all kinds of opportunity then to revisit those scriptures when stuff happens during the week. Hey, do you remember that thing we read about? How does is that going to help us? to process through this argument that you're having with your sister, uh, that, that, that sort of thing. And so to make time to do that on a weekly basis, to, to have that hour, it's, and sometimes it, it's only 30 minutes, uh, we, we actually had to stop attending an excellent Bible club for our kids that, that they were attending. Um, but we did that to make time for this. We just found that this was more profitable for our family and it was better for all of us and, and more energizing. So that's how we do it as a family, and 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 that's about it at this point. Other than just the everyday conversations that might come up, that we try to take advantage of.
1: You no, know, I think that's helpful for people to hear. Um, just that you know, you're not this super sanctified. Uh, family that, you know, you, you do, like you said, worldly things. You, you enjoy <laughs> yeah. the, the gifts of this world that God has given us. Um, and, and even the, uh, the opportunity cost about, there was this other opportunity with uh, the kids club and thought, well, this is just going to be better for us. We're going to have to cut something out In order to make time for this thing that we want to prioritize Uh, and i mean tony and i have done another episode on uh, all the extracurricular things that families uh, are engaged in these days and um, how it can cause our our discipleship of our own family to really suffer because we're going to all these practices and and all the rest um so that's just helpful to hear Mm -hmm. how one family who's trying to, to to do it um how they are doing it with god's help
2: I actually yeah, reminds thanks. me, uh, I think Ben was alluding to this, you know, I, at a previous church I was at, uh, I was really trying to introduce the culture of, you know, family discipleship and, and family worship, whether once a week uh, or, you know, uh, our family does every night shortly. Uh, and uh, I did actually, somebody uh, was seemed legitimately like stressed uh, asking, you know, how am I supposed to do this and all of these activities uh, at church that I do and You know, and I mean, the reality is like you brought up you can't and you just have to make the biblical priorities. And sometimes that means dropping some things like those very good clubs that you mentioned. That's right. Now, how would you uh, counsel a parent or teacher who is a child or teenager who's showing little interest in Bible reading and study or even some resistance? And by the way, I suspect every parent, even parents with godly children, uh, has navigated this to some degree or another.
3: Yeah, that's, that's really normal. And it's a, it can be a, a challenging issue, or a challenging question, uh, depending on the nature of that, that resistance or, or that disinterest. And, and yeah, we all face it, you know, even though I mentioned our weekly family Bible reading time, I mentioned how I really look forward to it. And, and all of us, I think, look forward to it in a sense. Um, I, I, don't want to paint too rosy of a picture because I have no doubt whatsoever that if my children were given a choice between going and playing with their friends <laughs> or reading the Bible together as a family, they would choose the first
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, that they're not just I have one one child who really, really thoroughly enjoys it and hates it when we miss it uh, but but most of the rest they they're willing to come along with us. But as far as how I would counsel a parent or a teacher on that, I, I guess I, w- I would say f- first, I would suggest to, to do the best you can to understand your child, to understand your teenager. And maybe ask yourself, uh, what would they say that they feel understood by you? And maybe it requires asking them, do you feel like I understand you in general or I'm understanding you on this issue? And if not, we probably need to do more homework. Uh, Just from my background in, in college ministry, what I have found in working with college students is that the most important factor that determines whether a student has a positive or a negative relationship with their parents is whether they feel like their parents have understood them or not. And so I'm constantly advising folks who are are facing rebellious or resistant teenagers. that That's my go-to question. Do you think they feel like you understand them? And if a parent says, well, it doesn't matter if they feel it, I I know I understand them. (laughs) Then my advice is we need to do a little more work because it's really critical that they feel understood so that they want to move towards you. They want to open up. Because if they don't feel like you understand them, they will find someone else that that makes them feel understood. And that can be devious. That can be absolutely devious. It could be the religion or philosophy professor at at their college. Or it could be some arch heretic or someone else who's going to lead them who knows where. But it's someone that they, they learn to trust. Yeah. So... Uh, we really want to understand what what is the nature of this resistance? What's the nature of this disinterest? And instead of pushing for what I want them to do, I want to understand why their interest is low. So is it a lack of interest in the Lord at all? Is it a lack of interest in the Bible as a book? And they don't mind books, but the Bible just can't uh, compare to the other books that they're getting more joy out of. Or is it a lack of interest in reading at all? They just don't like reading. They, they're not literature people. Is it perhaps more of a resistance to my influence as their parent or teacher? Is there something that I'm doing or, or a relationship that I've built with them that has been unsavory to them? And uh, different answers to those questions might suggest different approaches of what we ought to do about it. And so, I would want to discuss that with my church leaders for more help. Hey, I, I'm, I'm sensing this resistance in my teen, and, you know, he doesn't mind reading, it's not, it's not a, a learning disability, and it's not an academic thing, he just doesn't seem to be interested in the things of the Lord. And so, what can be our next steps to foster that relationship more deeply, and to show him the glory of the Lord Jesus, and the grace that is available to him? Yeah, so so I, I guess that that's the basic of of how I would counsel that is is mostly do the best you can to understand what what the cause of it is because then that that will help you to target your approach to to be most effective. That's helpful.
1: Yeah, I, I like bringing in church leaders um, to and not just trying to go on, on your own, uh, but seeking the wisdom of others, especially if it's a, a spiritual issue. But just you're talking about shepherding your child, and so. It, However, it looks, it is a spiritual issue. Uh, so I appreciate that. Well, Peter, uh, if this has been an excellent conversation, and it's been encouraging to me. And uh, I, I found your website actually by, I was teaching through the book of Isaiah right now, and I was looking for a list of, of how many quotations of, of Isaiah appear yeah. in the New Testament. And okay. uh, you have a, a page full of resources with things like that. And uh, and I started looking through it. Oh, this is good stuff. Um, and so, Thanks. yes, I mean, it's been uh, beneficial to me in the, the few weeks that I have uh, have come across it. Um, but if listeners want to find out more of those resources for learning how to study and know the Bible for themselves, but also for helping others to do the same thing, where can they go?
3: They could go to my website at knowableword.com. That's knowable as in you can know it, Uh, knowableword.com. That's also the name of my book is Knowable Word, Uh, helping ordinary people learn to study the Bible. And so that's my passion. My vision is to help ordinary Christians uh, gain the confidence that they can just open their Bibles and understand it and teach it to others. On the website, there's a whole section about resources for helping children to, to read and study the Bible.
1: Yeah, and just uh, to, to reiterate, it would be worth your time to check it out, whether for your own personal study or for helping as you try to disciple others. Um, so please check that out and you can see his book. I'm sure your book's available on Amazon and most other places that you can buy yes. books online. Okay. All right, well, Peter, thank you again for the time, brother, uh, for sharing your wisdom with us, and I uh, hope this has been
0: beneficial to you who here so thank you
3: thanks for having me it's been a privilege
0: thank you for joining us for this episode of the theological family ministry podcast if you have enjoyed this episode please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media all new episodes are available to listen to on stitcher SoundCloud YouTube Spreaker and iTunes we hope you have a great week and join us again every first and third Thursday